Before I start my talk, I should mention two things. Actually, one thing is that today I'm not focused so much on virtue, virtuous climate making or the virtue theoretic approach to geoengineering. Instead, my focus will be on the wood to woods. So it's basically a wood work in progress. And I will not offer a comprehensive argument for all the assumptions I'm making in this paper. Particularly, I'm going to take for granted some assumptions that are perhaps not too controversial in the part where I have my PhD from, that is the Netherlands, and in the philosophical scene, like philosophy of technology and science and technology study. But those assumptions might be a bit more contentious in mainstream analytic philosophy. So. We can, of course, discuss those assumptions later, but I don't want to talk about them in my paper to distract my already sketchy idea and to take, us, take me too far away. So my goal basically is to provide you a general <coughs> picture or general account of how I think the ethics of geoengineering should be or could be done with a virtue theoretic or virtue ethical approach. So that's the main content. Along with mitigation and adaptation, geoengineering often defined as the lib deliberative large-scale manipulation of the planetary environment to counteract and for progenic climate change has become increasingly uh, visible as a third option in response to climate change. Yet, it has also been widely acknowledged that geoengineering, whether it's research and development or its implementation, will raise serious ethical, social, political, and legal issues. This paper right now I have aimed to contribute to the ongoing discussions on the ethics of geoengineering and the governance of geoengineering. But instead of examining specific examples, specific ethical and governance issues associated with geoengineering, I will look at more generally on, on the question of how we should actually approach the ethic of geoengineering or geoengineering governance. Right now, much of the research and in the ethics of geoengineering basically focus on decision about or outcome or impact of geoengineering. So basically the idea is that when you look at uh, ethics of geoengineering research, basically you will find people look into how decisions about geoengineering are being made or focus more specifically on intention behind geoengineering on one hand and on the other hand focusing on the outcome or impacts of geoengineering and to evaluate whether those outcomes and impacts are morally desirable or not. So I think that approach is inadequate at best and wrong-headed at worst. Drawing from the latest development in, say, Dutch philosophy of technology and more generally science and technology study or science study, I propose a different, uh, maybe a little bit pretentious label of post-humanist virtue ethics, which I think provide us a better way to analyze ethical issues raised by geoengineering. In short, the major objective of this paper is to propose at least an alternative way to analyze ethical issues 
raised by geoengineering. Now, it should be obvious that any ethical assessment of technology cannot be separate from uh, an understanding and specifications of the technology in questions. So, if we are looking at, say, information technology, then we have to know how we understand information technology and what kind of information technology we are talking about and perhaps how it works as well. And the same should be true or ought to be true for the ethics of geoengineering as well. So in other words, when we talk about the ethics of geoengineering, we have to have a specific understanding of geoengineering and the kind of geoengineering uh, we want to talk about. So I want to make two caveats before I turn to my account or my arguments. First, throughout the paper or throughout this presentation, I use the definition of geoengineering proposed in the Royal Society reports. So that's the definition, the deliberative large-scale manipulation of planetary environment to counteract anthropogenic climate change. This definition, of course, is not uncontested. Indeed, some might even contest the very idea of whether geoengineering exists at all. For example, Claire Haywood in the Eurocenter basically argued the term geoengineering is not useful because the terms are being used to lump together two radically, a lot radically different kind of stuff that does not really have a coherent way to understand that. But I will not dispute the definition of geoengineering in my talk. Given the prominence of that report, the Royal Society report, I think that definition can at least provide us with a common ground for debating the ethical issues associated with geoengineering. So here I take this definition as true even though there are arguments against that definitions. But I should also point out that in advancing my case, so in advancing my approach, I actually do not need to rest my claims or argument on a particular definition of geoengineering. My argument for this alternative approach to the ethics of geoengineering only needs to take geoengineering to be understood as the definition, deliberative large-scale manipulation of planetary environment to counteract anthropogenic change, climate change, that involve, that's the important part, I think, sufficiently sophisticated combination of human activities, institutions, social institutions, <coughs> and technological artifacts and infrastructure. So that's the main thing that I think are specific or important to geoengineering that call for a different ways to understand or to analyze it ethically. The second caveat, it is well recognized that geoengineering is an umbrella term that encompasses a variety of techniques and technology. So that's why perhaps Clara would think that term is not really useful to or for us to talk about geoengineering. For instance, the World Society report 
distinguish two broad categories of geoengineering techniques. The first, commonly known, known as carbon dioxide removal, removal techniques, CDR techniques, which aims to remove carbon dioxide from atmosphere directly. And the second type of techniques is generally known as solar radiation management, SRM, which aims to reflect sunlight and heat back to the space. And in the Royal Society report, there is a further distinction between encapsulated and unencapsulated technique to describe whether a technique is modular and contained, and also a distinction between reversible and irreversible technique to describe whether a technique can easily cease and its effects can be terminated in a short time. These two distinctions basically cut across both CDR and SRM techniques. So you have a matrix of different techniques that are either reversible, irreversible, encapsulated, and encapsulated. And based on this notion of encapsulation and reversibility, Steve Rayner in the Institute for Science, Innovation, and Society proposed a different distinction for geoengineering, which he called ecosystem enhancement and black box engineering for classifying geoengineering techniques and for the debate on geoengineering, geoengineering governance. And there are other definitions or classifications. For example, David Humphreys described or classified geoengineering based on the scale of implementation and site of implementation and call different geoengineering, either common-based or territorial geoengineering techniques. So for example, those that operate in common, say, in the space, in the ocean, are those that he calls common-based geoengineering techniques. Those that are more location-based, say, for example, direct carbon capture, are what he called territorial geoengineering techniques. These distinctions are important, as Stephen Gardner rightly noted, that specific details of a geoengineering technique can raise different ethical issues. For example, if you think about those localized geoengineering techniques, then perhaps land use will be a particular or land-based justice issues related to land use will be a specific issues related to those geoengineering. And say, for example, Global justice will be more of an issue for common-based geoengineering technique. So we have to be careful when we talk about ethical evaluation of any geoengineering technique that we should not be over-generalized. So we should not just uh, take one solution or account and impose onto other account without thinking more seriously the difference between one type and the other. And it is, I think, certainly true that specific details of geoengineering technique in questions can raise different types of ethical issues. But again, my argument for an alternative approach to the ethics of geoengineering arises, I think, from the very nature of geoengineering or a general features that are that is shared by all geoengineering techniques. Again, that feature is that 
it involves sufficiently sophisticated combination of human activities, institution, and technological artifacts or infrastructure and infrastructure. So geoengineering, well, the argument I want to put forward is that geoengineering should be understood as large social technical system, which in turn has certain ramifications for us to think about the ethical issues or to think about the kind of ethical framework we can use on evaluating geoengineering. So my argument against the existing works in the ethics of geoengineering is based on the view that geoengineering again should be understood as large social technical system, which basically means that large infrastructural production system that involve actors, technical elements, social elements, which this idea basically is quite entrenched in, I think, science and technology study to see technology not just a tools or an artifacts that are that can be separate from the network, but more or less to think of technology as something that's situated or embedded in a larger network. That when we think about that thing or that technology, we cannot but think of the broader context, or we have to take into consideration the broader context. So now I take it rather obvious, you might disagree with that, but we can talk about it later that any geoengineering technique in order to be a successful endeavor to counteract anthropogenic climate change must be a sufficiently complicated or sophisticated effort that involves technical artifacts and infrastructure, social institutions and actors. So for example, with a successful geoengineering will have, I think, machine, for example, in CDR, will have machine that capture carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases. And in the case of, say, ocean fertilization, iron fertilization, we'll have to have carriers that dump iron or other chemical into the oceans. Or in case of aerosol, aerosol injection, we'll have again, carrier that inject aerosols into the atmosphere, or even if you're talking about like space mirror, then you have to have space shuttle that should shoot to the sky and put mirror into that. So any geoengineering technique in order to be successful, it must involve certain technical artifacts or infrastructure. But it also have to have social institution that organize various activities. Uh, say, for example, we'll have to have organizations, we'll have to have law norms that govern all these different activities, that coordinate different activities, even just in the simple case of a company that built or bring together all these different artifacts. And of course, the last element will be actor, namely human beings that involve in research and development, design, and most importantly, operation of geoengineering techniques. So I think we should understand geoengineering not as simply a separate artifacts, 
or technological artifacts or even infrastructure to if we have infrastructure defined rather narrowly, but more so as a system that involves these three different elements. And if my characterization of geoengineering as a large social technical system is correct, then I think the ethics of geoengineering ought to take into account all these three elements, namely technical elements, social elements, and actor into their ethical reflection. Yet, these different components of geoengineering when it is understood in terms of large social technical system are often not fully accounted for in the ethics of geoengineering or geoengineering governance at the moment or at least I argue that I think I will try to show that uh, If you look at the type of questions that are being asked in the ethics of geoengineering, then you will see the focus is basically on intention and outcome, like I said in the very beginning. So I'll try to give you a rough approximation of the type of question being asked in the field at the moment. So I summarized four type of questions that I think can be representative of the field right now. So let's see if I can make it clear. So there are two types of questions or two objects in the question. One is about research and development of geoengineering. The other is about deployment or implementation of geoengineering. So the first, the type of question about research and development will be something like, is research and development of geoengineering morally permissible? Or to a, in a milder form or in a less strict form, it will ask something like, under what circumstances is the research and development of geoengineering permissible, morally permissible? And then we have the second order questions like, if research and development of geoengineering under some circumstances is morally permissible, how should the course reads? and potential harm and benefit are to be shared. So one type of question is about moral permissibility, the other is about once or if that is morally permissible, then how should we deal with the outcome of geoengineering or research and development of geoengineering. So this two form of question basically I think mirror in the get this parallel in the discussion about implementation or deployment of geoengineering. So we find questions that basically ask, is deployment of geoengineering morally permissible? Or under what circumstances is the deployment morally permissible? And then we also have the second order questions about if deployment of geoengineering under some circumstances is permissible, then how should this cause risks and potential benefits and harms? is to be shared. Now, I think it is worth to point out that the framings and answer of these questions in the field tend to focus, like I said, either, the, either on the outcome of geoengineering and or on the intentions associated with research and development and implementations. To give you a few examples, question about, say, moral hazard 
associated with geoengineering. So the idea is that once you have geoengineering, then people will do less to prevent climate change. So basically, lead to a hazard of some sort. And moral corruption, a stronger form of moral hazard, I think proposed by Stephen Gardner. Herbert's the idea that geoengineering expresses a certain herbistic attitude. And technical fix, the idea that geoengineering seems to introduce the idea of a technical fix that, uh, well, I'll talk about it later. But anyway, this kind of questions, in answering this kind of questions, or in looking at this kind of topics, researchers tend to focus either on questioning the consequence, either it is the moral or non-moral consequence of considering and implementing various geoengineering proposals. They are, so that's, for example, moral hazard and moral corruptions. Or they are focusing on questioning the intention related to geoengineering, such as the herbistic attitude that I mentioned, and geoengineering as a quick fix that can basically divert us from the deeper ethical issues relate to climate change. So very much that discussion is about outcome or about intentions. So similarly, when we talk about the kind of distributive issues, like how we should share the cost risk and harm and benefit, the focus again is almost exclusively on the outcome and impact of geoengineering. So. The question is about how this cause, risk, benefit, and harm are to be distributed. So, how the outcome are to be distributed by different two different parties. In short, I think the ethics of geoengineering so far has focused to one-sidedly on actor in the three elements and maybe social elements depends on how you conceptualize social in the free or triad of social technical system. By restricting the field to looking at intention, decision about geoengineering, or about the outcome of geoengineering. So at the very least, one important element, namely technical elements of geoengineering, are often left unaccounted for in the ethics of geoengineering. In this respect, the ethics of geoengineering need to at least reconsider, at least need to be reconsidered, and particularly the technical element ought to be given more significant emphasis in the field. But that's not really my focus here. I think there is a more important lesson to learn for us to understand geoengineering as large social technical system. If that understanding is correct, I think it raises two problems with existing works that attempt to see the ethical issue or attempt to analyze the ethical issues associated with geoengineering as questions about individual intentions or as about outcome of geoengineering. So the first problem is the high degree of uncertainty with respect to the outcome from large-scale social, large social technical system. Sometimes it's also called large-scale technical system 
which can be confusing to me even. <clears throat> so that high degree of uncertainty is basically built in to the system. And I think that is especially true in the case of geoengineering with different factors, whether it's natural, whether it's technical, whether it's human factor, interact together. So that uncertainty, I think, will inevitably challenge the ethical analysis, which base their judgment on the outcome. The challenge from uncertainty should be familiar, I think, at least to people who work on ethics of technology, and I will not go into detail. Simply put it, if we don't know the outcome, how can we judge whether it's right or wrong? The more interesting point, I think, relates to understanding geoengineering as large social technical system. I think it's something pointed out by Star. I think he or she is a, I think she is a social innovation study people person. So Star note that because infrastructure is big, layered, and complex, complex and because it means different things locally it is never changed from above changes take times and negotiation and adjustment with other aspects of the systems that are involved nobody is really in charge of infrastructure or social technical system Stas remark highlight the irrelevance of individual decision and intention in the context of large social technical system. Insofar as that idea about infrastructure is also applicable to large or directly applicable to large social technical system and in this sense in turn uh, geoengineering. It also entails that individual decision and intention are irrelevant or will be irrelevant in our discussion about geoengineering as well or the ethics of geoengineering as well. If geoengineering should indeed be viewed as large social technical system, then the two inherent characteristics of large social technical system, namely uncertainty and distributiveness, the complexity, locality, I don't know whether there is such a word in English, but bottom, bottom upness of large social technical system described by Star should also call for a different approach to ethics of geoengineering that goes beyond those which focus exclusively on outcomes and impacts of geoengineering or those that focus heavily on individual decision and intentions. <coughs> so basically it means that to understand geoengineering as large social technical system will move us away from simply asking the questions like what is the right decisions or what are the right decisions or actions about geoengineering or the questions about what is the best consequence or what are the best consequences from geoengineering. So because that too type of questions seems to be obsolete given <coughs> the uncertainty and distributedness. 
But leaving the questions, what is the right decision and action about geoengineering, and what is the best consequence from geoengineering behind? The obvious question, of course, is what is left of the ethics of geoengineering. In his discussion of the ethics of large social technical system, Alan Bay acknowledged the uncertainty and distributedness of large social technical system, and he proposed a different level of ethical reflection that basically takes system as the unit of ethical reflection. And focus instead on the process in large social technical systems research and development, as well as implementations. He called this idea, or he called this type of ethical reflection, a macroethics, in or to distinguish that from individual ethics that he called microethics. I think he also mentioned something like social ethics and. I don't know whether he would like the term mutual ethics as well, but I think there is a clear distinction between individual or ethics that talk us that focus on the individual and ethics that focus on system. I think this call for a microethics or different level of an analysis echoes basically on one hand a more distributed sense of morality, and on the other hand a shift towards an ethics of design. Now. We have seen recent in recent year in philosophy and ethics of technology. So the distributed sense of morality basically means that morality no longer bound in a single individual, but basically distributed in the network. Or responsibility can be distributed in the network, but not on one single individuals. And ethics of design basically is about the idea that we should design values into technology. Instead of just evaluating technology by certain external norms and values, so on and so forth. But the major lesson here, I think, is that if we understand geoengineering as a large social technical system, traditional ethical framework will be insufficient. Primarily because first or either they require certainty, or that they are primarily individualistic. So they are not ethical framework that propose for fear like fear rising systems that are inherently uncertain and distributed. More importantly, I think taking seriously the view that geoengineering should be understood as large social technical system, or to push push us to a more possessive approach to ethics. So it's not like this one off. Thinking about decision making, but more like a process that we have to continue adjust and reflect on geoengineering. So that's my negative argument, basically against uh, traditional frameworks to apply them on geoengineering. And The reason for having an alternative approach of ethic of, of geoengineering that does not really focus on outcome and impact, because the uncertainty entails that outcome and impact cannot be sufficiently long to ground sound enough moral judgment and on decision and intention, because of the distributedness render individual intentions and decision inefficient 
in the system context, but focus more on the process in which geoengineering is being researched and developed and implemented. Again, the obvious question is, what kind of ethical framework can provide us the proper theoretical and perhaps normative underpinning for this task? Now, I'm going to the more murky area that I want to see if it works or not. So I want to argue that virtual ethics provide a better theoretical and normative underpinning for an ethics for systems or an underpinning for macroethics, if you like the term. As I try to argue a question like what is the right decision or action or what is the best consequence are wrong kind of questions for ethical issues in relation to large social technical system lecture engineering. Perhaps then we should think about a different type of questions and we perhaps need to think about what different questions are required for looking at this kind of social, large social technical system. Uh, atomized by the question, how should we live? I think which ethics is particularly fitting as an ethics for processes. Particularly, it is because, at least to my will, I think I read it from Roger's paper as well, that virtue ethics is not really about right decision or actions, but more about values or virtues an individual ought to have and the process of which those values and virtue should come about or can come about. So it's not really about right and wrong action, but more about how to build a certain, in case of human, how to have a certain individual have certain virtues that can be called a virtuous human. Accordingly, um, with a virtue ethical framework, outcome and intention are not really the intrinsic part in a moral judgment. And so we don't really need to ask the question or we don't really have to ask the question what is, right what is the right decision or action or what is the best consequence. Instead, we should ask how that particular technology can allow us to, say, forage or live better so on and so forth. This, of course, seems to be a rather naive argument from eliminations, so we don't want to ask these two questions, and we have another question. And so that question is to provide us a better anchor or a better framework to think about our technology. That might well be true, but I think there is actually an interesting analogy between human development and technological development that can help us to see the usefulness of a virtue ethical, virtue theoretic approach for technological or large, large social technical system. I take it that one important lesson or elements of virtue ethics is that it is about moral education and development and that one significant advantage of virtual ethics if that account or that virtual ethics is successful is that it enables the virtuous individuals to act morally and appropriately even in unknown context, so in light of uncertainty. And I see this point apply equally well to technological development as well. Namely, we want to have technology or large 
socio-technical systems to function morally and appropriately, even in unknown context. Of course, at least the term education can hardly be applied to technology because of this humanist connotation that it seems strange to talk about educating a particular technology. But if we take the wheel of education as shaping, so in educating a human, we are trying to shape what that person ought to be, then perhaps to think about educating and developing technology virtuously would not be too strange with respect to technological design because technological design have an analogous function of shaping technological development. So one note is that if you, well, that might sound strange if we just talk about education and technology as such, but it might sound less strange when we think about well, education and social technical system with the emphasis on social. So I think education, even in social technical system, could still play an important part in thinking about uh, social, social technical system and technological development. This analogy with human development and technological development, along with the rather naive argument by elimination, I think provides us at least a prima thesis reason to look at geoengineering from a virtue ethical perspective. So that's the kind of thing that I want to develop basically in the future. And I wish I had something more substantive, substantive to say about this virtual ethical approach. But like I said, this is very much a work in progress. And I think it actually belongs to a larger project of thinking about technology from the virtual ethic perspective. So I will not be able to provide you a fully developed account here. Instead of saying what that virtue theoretic approach to ethics of technology or ethics of geoengineering will look like. I will talk a bit about some potential problem for thinking about technology in terms of virtue. So one main challenge for adopting virtual ethics in ethical analysis of geoengineering or for that matter any large social technical system is that virtual ethics is largely humanness. The idea is that while virtual ethics is about human traits or about human character, therefore it seems rather inapplicable to large-scale large social technical systems such as geoengineering or technology. To this challenge, I look at the recent development in philosophy and ethics of technology, basically not the analytic tradition, I'm afraid, and science and technology study, in which scholars like Peter Paul Verbeek and Bruno Latour have argued that technology exhibits certain sense of agency as well. So their argument is that technology is not just passive recipient or something like a tooth, but they actively, technologies basically active, actively participate in a network of interactions between 
human technology and society. So what they're trying to argue is that technology also has agency as well. And in light of that, they basically argue that when doing ethical reflections, technological artifacts are on par with human beings. Alright, so that's a rather radical idea to think or to say technology has agency and technology can do something or can be, like I think some of them would like to say, can be autonomous agent. Whether this idea, this radical idea is true or not, I think to see technology to some degree exhibit certain sense of agency <coughs> at least begin to allow us to reconsider the idea of technology can also be virtuous bearers. And similar idea can also be found, I think, in uh, business ethics and the idea of corporate identity as well. So the idea that corporate corporation is an entity that can bear certain virtues or can act actively, can also lend support to this idea of technology can also be virtue bearer. But I think many analytic philosophers or many philosophers indeed may not like this idea of technology can be virtue bearer. So if you think that uh, technology itself cannot be virtue bearer or cannot be agent and only human beings are capable to be virtue bearer. One possible way forward is basically to claim that some virtues are or must be mediated by technology. So taking clues from recent development of the idea, not really recent actually, of the idea of extended mind in philosophy of mind and cognitive science, which basically suggests that cognitive agency is not bound bodily, but extend towards technological artifacts and even social institutions. We, I think, might also be able to conceptualize moral agency or moral character uh, to not be bound bodily, but to extend towards technological artifacts and social institution as well. Indeed, if we, well, we have seen this line of work in social and virtuous terminology, and some scholar has argued that some esteemic virtues like openness extend beyond individual boundary and actually belongs to uh, collective, I think. So one way to put forward this virtue of post-human post-humanist virtue theory is to say that uh, we might be able to merge idea of virtue ethics and the, extent, the idea of extended mind together and to claim that virtue basically extend beyond individual boundary and must be, say, coupled with technology if it works at all. And surprisingly, actually, I've done some Google search on Google once, Google Scholar, there is not really any hits on virtual ethics and extended mind. I don't know whether it's just my deficiency on searching skill or whether that idea doesn't work at all, but we will see in the future. Uh, accordingly, there are at least two strands of virtual ethics of technology that can be developed. First way is to look at the possibility of technological virtues 
which is in and of technology independent from human, which that strength require us to look more closely of the possibility of non-human virtue there, uh, such as by some post-humanist philosopher and social scientists. And the possibility, second strand, is the possibility of social technical virtues, virtues in and of human technology assemblage, so human technology mixture in light of the extended mind research. So that's basically the theoretical or metaphysical challenge to build up a virtue ethics of technology, post-humanist virtue ethics of technology or geoengineering. And a more substantive questions also emerge, namely what technical technological virtues and social technical virtues will be available. In the case of humanist, say Aristotelian or human virtue ethics, the list of virtues has more or less clearly established. But that I think is not the case for technological virtues and social technical virtues if they exist at all. And the possible candidate I'm thinking, I'm considering, is first responsibility. The idea that responsibility represents the readiness to respond to plurality of normativity, normative demand, and perhaps justice. Uh, one supporting, one idea that supports responsibility and perhaps justice is the reason prominence of the idea of responsible research and innovation seems basically to gesture towards the importance of having responsibility, that thing, in research and development process. Of course, it's true that how responsibility in responsibility, responsible research and innovation is to be understood as a separate and important issues, but at least that gesture towards responsibility when talk about research and innovation suggests that responsibility can be something that built into uh, design and the whole process of technological research and development as well as implementation. And that's my final word. I think I spent enough time. So finally, that's the problem or the practical dimension of virtue ethics of geoengineering, namely how can we introduce virtue in ethics of geoengineering or in geoengineering. As I've noted briefly, education and design are two major instruments for, I think, what I will call moral technological developments. So in this line, I think more research should be done at least to take into account ethics. Uh, the technical elements. I think more research has to be done on ethics of design and to focus on how values or virtues like responsibility can be designed into geoengineering and also justice and how it can be designed into geoengineering. And that's basically the idea I have right now. So what I'm trying to do here is to suggest uh, we should understand geoengineering in terms of large social technical systems and this understanding entails or push us to a different ethical frameworks for 
looking at ethical issues about geoengineering, which I think which ethics might be the best way to do that job. And then I talk a bit about how that particular type of posthumanist which ethics I think should or can be like and how it can be implemented. So that's basically the work in this project and in my future and any comments for this will be very welcome. Thank you. So we're recording uh, the questions. If you don't want your question recorded, let us know and we'll delete it. So are there any questions? Yep. Yeah, I was just wondering, um, you say that you are drawn to a virtual ethical framework. Right. Due to the uncertainty that you're assigned to right. geoengineering technologies, how do you how, how do you go about defining that uncertainty, and how do you differentiate between things that are so uncertain that you can't actually use a normal way of making a decision? And how, and and does that actually apply for geoengineering technologies? I mean, they already sort of taxonomizing them according to whether right. they're reversible or irreversible. Right. You know, they've got. There's already been natural experiments to the extent that volcanoes have emitted right. of stuff, and there's been a response, and it, you know, it's just, and then it's come back to whatever previous right. states. So how, I mean, so there is some level of understanding, but obviously uncertainty, and that's always going to be the case with anything. So, how, but how do you? Right. Well, the idea about uncertainty. How should I put it? Well, I think uncertainty is inherent in geoengineering to the extent that things, to the extent that even in, well, there will always be different in lab environment and in real world situation or real world implementations. So, whatever you do in geoengineering experimentation, I don't think the result will say a lot about how it works in reality. So that kind of prompt me to think about the insufficiency to use, say, precautionary principle or any principle that requires certain amount of knowledge, but instead to really look into the process and to hopefully counter the impacts in each step instead of saying, well, we want to stop that thing and not to go on and so forth. I don't know if they answer your question, but... If I, if I throw in on top of that, I, I heard someone talking just last week from an American water engineer doing you know, flood control and talking about modeling. And it's the models which are where we get. Right. You know, and the models are always going to be uncertain. Right. And all our, you know, all the planning and thinking that we're doing is based upon something which is inherently uncertain. And he was having to sell different packages of flood defences around the Great Lakes to all the, and he talked about them as the stakeholders in the community. And what they wanted from him was certainty. And he could not give it. And so therefore, they commissioned more models. And the more accurate the models, the more the uncertainty. Which was, you know, going into the maths and statistics of it. But I, I, I followed that, and it was pretty spot on. I think, you know, 
so going to where you're coming from, uh, you know, the uncertainty is key. Right. You know, you, you should be embracing the uncertainty with your ethics to say this is the ethics of uncertainty. Right. Like I that. think. Is that what you're saying? I think actually the virtue ethics is well, like I said, I think virtue ethics, virtue ethics is the best ethical account that take into account this kind of uncertainty because it's not really about certain outcome, but about a process that can continuously adjust. In constantly adjust. Yeah. So uncertainty is. Yeah, that's okay. That's uncertain. So. There is no certainty. There's just an outcome, and then the next outcome. Yeah. Well, but then I, what I want to focus on is not really the outcome, but the virtue that yes. can allow us to deal with different outcome, whether they are something we want to or not. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's uncertain, does that make it more or less immoral? Mm, no, I don't think uncertainty itself is a moral element, but. It is in the background of selecting which moral theory we can use or we should use. Jane? So, a suggestion and a related question. My suggestion might be to think about John Dewey. Um, mm. I, I don't have this very well thought out, but I'm just thinking if you're interested in ways in which social processes interact with technology, yeah. um, the way that sort of large scale choices have to be made in a distributed way. Mm -hmm. I think you get a lot to say about that. Yeah. But that leads to my question, which is that at the implementational level, he, he was mostly interested in educating individual people through institutions, but still educating individual people and getting them to, right. to, to acquire the sort of techniques they need to work in concert to solve big problems. Um, what I'm wondering is your approach, uh, a virtue theoretic approach, if at the implementational level it had, is anything more than just added effects of educating lots of individual people. And if really the kinds of virtues you're thinking about are really just uh, um, an abbreviated description for saying lots and lots of individual policymakers, scientists, etc., have the right sorts of virtues. Um, so I, I guess the, I'm trying to form it as a challenge for you. Would, would you be able to give an example of a way in which um, virtue, the virtues that we're interested in might be possessed by something other right. than just the aggregation of all the people with their individual virtues? Right. Well, one thing I can say, or at least I will try to say, is that by that virtue theoretic account that I want to present is not just aggregation of individual virtue or individualistic virtue. That's the right word. But that I want to propose certain virtues must be mediated by technology. So, for example, some, I think, it's fair to say, well, I know more in the information technology context, unfortunately. But I think it's fair to say some virtues like trust has a different, or trustworthiness, has a different connotation or different understanding, say, in the context of information technology than in the traditional context. So some or perhaps not trustworthiness, but more like openness and things like that, will have a different connotation or understanding in with technology and without technology. So it might be that a trustworthy person has to be 
to behave and be disposed to behave in certain ways that are unique to that sort of technological environment, which right. did not exist before the technological right. environment. But that, that doesn't make it the case that the virtue is still possessed by the individual person. Right. Well, that then actually goes into, I think, the extended mind debate about the boundary of person or boundary of cognitive agents, mm -hmm. whether this external part actually counts as part of the agent or not. But following on that, I don't even know if you need to prove that point, if that makes sense. So it seems like you could say, based on these issues of uncertainty and... Um, yeah, the issues of uncertainty that surround these large social technical systems that, you know, virtue ethics might be the best approach. Right. But you might you don't you don't necessarily seem to me to say that the technology itself uh, right, is yeah. virtuous. You could say we ought to take a virtue ethical. Right, approach. yeah. Well I think there are at least two projects here. One is to say virtue ethics is a more viable approach to geoengineering or large social technical system. The other, I think, more interesting project would be to actually ask whether technology or social technical system can themselves be virtue bearer or not. And that, well, it depends on, I think, where you come from, but I think that has interesting ramification for thinking about technology on one hand and how to do ethics on the other hand. So, for example, if I, if I think technology can be virtue bearer, then the emphasis will be more on the ethics of design, that we try to actually build virtue into technology. But if that's like the traditional virtue ethics, then the focus is more likely on focusing on individual and how they are they might use technology in the virtuous way. So I think that might still be some fundamental difference to think about virtual ethics as such and virtual ethics in the light of technology, or philosophy of technology. Yes. Roger? Um, that's very interesting. I've been thinking a bit about what the um, people who hold traditional views like consequentialism and technology mm -hmm. might say. Yeah. So it seems to me one thing they say is um, actually we have got techniques for dealing with uh, uncertainty. Consequentialists mm -hmm. have got expected utility theory and proportional principle and various right. axioms. Uh, and deontologists can of course take a lot of those ideas on board right. just by adopting outcome-centered principles mm -hmm. and elements and so on. <coughs> um, and Virtue ethics, I think, isn't really as far apart from those other approaches as one might think, because uh, most of the moral virtues are dispositions to perform certain actions, right? Yeah, right, which are going to be right independently of the why they're being done by the virtuous mm -hmm. person. So you need either consequentialism or deontology at that point. But it did seem to me that when you were talking about. Um, Technology itself is a kind of super agent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It would be interesting to get clear on what the virtues are that you have in mind, because I think if you go for, as Gina was hinting, I think if you go for virtues like trustworthiness and openness, mm -hmm. then the people you're criticising are going to say, "Oh, that's fine. We'll just take your account of trustworthiness and openness at the super agent level, and then we'll just take it back to the agent." Right. Yeah. 
But you could come up with a list of virtues, which actually that couldn't be done with. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yeah. Um, loveliness, mm-hmm. for example, to, to take yeah. the philosophy of science, or certain aesthetic properties that you might say are, in a sense, virtuous because they're good qualities of the system. Right, yeah. But they're not action-focused mm-hmm. in the way that all the moral virtues are. Now, I'm not sure what the practical implications of that would be. Um, I mean, if you said uh, we should promote uh, systems like that, then that's taking you back to traditional consequentialism. Right. But it still seems to me you'd have, you'd have an independent approach there because you'd have a theory of evaluation which is rather unusual. Because right, not, not many people talk about, as you said, not many people talk about virtue ethics and, and the extended mind. Yeah. Not many people actually believe that technological systems have yeah. <laughs> intrinsic good qualities of their own. Right. Well, I think I agree with you entirely, but the problem is, well, I agree with that entirely in the sense that I think there are certain virtues that belongs properly to institution, but I haven't had an argument yet, but I still think some virtue cannot be realized without certain technology or some virtues if I if only I can come up with this some virtue can only be realized within or by uh, social technical systems so that might be the kind of things that I'm looking for but I also want to emphasize the important ethical dimension of it so that's why I mentioned responsibility I think and justice, but I think there are other virtues that might worth looking at as well. So that will be my task in summer, I guess. Could I ask about that? Could I, what other virtues? I was thinking about planetary virtues. You know, you talked a bit about uh, uh, non-human or post-human, right? And the concept of Gaia, right? Do you, do you use that in your thinking at all? The planet as a organism itself, you know, living the life, all one, all life together. Right. And therefore, you know, say you could have an ethics based on something like that. Well, that goes too far away from my thinking, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. unfortunately. But, well, to give you a, well, perhaps not really a moral virtue, but to go back to Roger's point, I think one thing that basically, well, that presentation basically focused on Moral virtues or virtues that are kind of relevant I'm to. Trying to give you an exterior, perhaps you know, sort of something. Otherwise, you know, it's completely human-centered. Right, but one virtue might be perhaps I think flexibility that I'm thinking about because one thing, well, one problem of geoengineering, of course, is the problem of uncertainty, and then the idea of once geoengineering is being implemented, there are problems of lock-in and people cannot get away from all this pre-established infrastructure and systems so on and so forth. So one actually non-ethical virtue or moral virtue I am thinking, I mean kind thing to put into that is flexibility as a virtue or resilience 
and something like that. But that might be less humanist, I think. But Here's a suggestion of, of a virtue that might be distinctive of social technical systems and would not be decomposed of one individual virtue. Transparency. Right. So the, 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 the social technical system needs to be such that people interact with, they're aware of what it's doing, why it's doing it, how it affects them, things like that. Um, you have to build a case for why that's mm -hmm. a moral virtue rather than a virtue of efficiency. But if you, like, that's a pretty plausible case. And further, it doesn't decompose because we, we don't generally think that it's a virtue for people to be so transparent that everyone knows what they're doing in the fall right, and yeah. why they're doing it all the time. So that does look like a virtue that's distinct from the nature of a social technical system. Um, there, there are objections to it I can see coming already, but, but I, I wonder if there's other virtues in that neighborhood that would be, um, you could spell that as a cluster. Right, yeah. Well, the classical example, I think, by Latour is that speed bump basically is the same as a policeman function, the same as a policeman in lowering the speed limit and to provide that kind of well, regulatory forces. So, in that sense, it's a kind of minimal agency, like you have said. But then, so the problem, I guess, or the question, I guess, is how far I want to go with that virtuous climate making. And I guess if you talk about a simple, or not simple, a single technological artifact or system that doesn't involve human in it, then perhaps it's a little difficult to say to have a strong sense of moral virtue in it. But like I said, there are two different projects. One is to say where technology itself or that system itself has technology actually. System itself has virtue. The other is to look at those virtue that cannot exist unless it's a combination of human and technology. So if you don't like the first idea then I will go for the second. Can I just ask you? Is that, uh, I mean, I think this is maybe this is a thing in science, technology studies, uh, but 
I, I think you can only talk about a speed bump metaphorically as being an agent. I mean, if you put a rock in the sort of road, it will slow the traffic right, down. Yeah. And now you say, well, the rock's an agent. I mean, this is a completely complete <laughs> redefinition of what it is to be an agent. But, I mean, it's just... Right, yeah. It's just... <laughs> well, I agree with that to the extent that it's about simple device, but I think as the device or as the technology get more complex, then well, it makes more, more sense to... Well, it's just more complex sets of rocks, or I mean, it's not, <laughs> it's still not an agent. I mean, it's, you've completely redefined, I mean, what does an agent mean for you then? Right. <laughs> well, then, well... Again, then I don't really need to take seriously. It's probably too analytically philosophical, but yeah. it's, it's quite an important point. Right. Otherwise, we can just redefine words as we want. And say right, but the same is true to say, for example, in business ethics, you might think that's like rubbish as well. But in business ethics, they talk about corporate identity and corporate personhood, which, again, is not really agent, but have agent-like... Well, characteristic. At least in corporations, there's individu- individual human agents. So, you know, I, again, you have right, to be yeah. wary of these sorts of things. But uh, anyway, I, I think it, you, need, you need to be careful. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I like that. I like putting the agency into the rock. Right. I, 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 <laughs> I, I, the table's an agent too. That's what, <laughs> that's what, because the systems, you know, we are, they are human functions. You know, they are us. You know, we. The system does no, you know, the whole information right. technology stuff. It has no existence at all apart from what we have made. Right. It's purely made for us, by us. It has. It doesn't, you know, go off. You know, you, you know, computer has nothing else to do apart from serve you. It's for us, by us, completely. So it's, you know, our rock, and therefore, you know, give it some morality. That's fine. You're doing the right thing. Well, I kind of knew that. Yes, <laughs> get me to that position. Sim- but simplistic take on it. One way out, I guess, is to, I think, is to borrow Luciano Ferretti's idea of level of abstractions and think about agency at different level. Perhaps at the case of rock, if different, well, if the level of abstraction is sufficiently abstract, then perhaps it makes sense to talk about agency in that score and. Then perhaps the question is whether virtue can be described at that level of abstraction and whether it makes sense. I think actually, Faridi start talking about infra ethics, and that is a type of ethics that is about infrastructure and about human. Not sure if he human in that, but at least about infrastructure and whether that is not really about individual activities. So I think even like proto-analytic philosopher like Luciano Verdi could have something good to say about that kind of agency as well. So, so maybe I can just ask you one other thing. So the, this is getting back to Roger's point. I mean, it's true that these geoengineering effects are highly unpredictable, but, but surely what we're concerned about are various states of affairs. Um, catastrophically bad states of affairs, right. stable states of affairs, and it's very. 
And it's not clear how virtues are going to help us apart from their correlation with those states of affairs. So if you don't have any way of tying them to the right. liability of realising certain states of affairs, why should we believe that they're of any use whatsoever? I mean, you might, it's really nice if people are kind. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't know if kind scientists will, will actually... I mean, what, what generally happens is you say, well, you need not... You shouldn't be hubristic. You should do extra research to make sure right. that you're confident in the predictions that you make and so on. But that's just tied to trying to realise better outcomes. So I, I don't see how this is really a, cha a challenge to consequentialism. Consequentialism will require that scientists, actors and so on have certain virtues, but the final arbiter will be the consequences. Two things, I think. I agree with the idea that, well, eventually consequence will figure into part of the picture in here. But then I think the focus or the emphasis should not be on outcome or consequence, but rather, well, I think the thing is to focus too much on consequence, kind of forget about the Geoengineering is basically a process instead of one, we want to achieve one particular outcome. But then, in this sense, virtual ethics, I think, at least provide us a better way to think about, at least focus on the process in which geoengineering development, research and development and implementation is being taken place. So I'm not really arguing, well, well, like virtue theoretic approach can be consequentialist, but then the emphasis I think will still be on virtue. But right now I'm not taking side as to whether I am a consequentialist or not. But I think what I will take side is the emphasis on virtue is most important for geoengineering instead of just looking at outcome. Yeah, well, I think consequentialists would agree with that. Too. Um, any last questions? Um, just, I'm, I'm putting this together in my head as I go, but it was in response to something you said a minute ago. I don't know if, it, I don't know if it's something you're already thinking. Um, an advantage of thinking about artifacts, computers, and, and social media and social technical systems as agents um, is that we can think about their, what their aims are. Um, so right. They have to have what I think John Searle calls derivative intentionality. Right. Where people who create them put some purpose in them. And that means they have a telos. Right, right yeah. And if it's actually better to virtual ethics in that Yeah, that, that's what I was wondering. Is, is, is this, um, so, right, so you, you might think that the way we figure out the virtues is by analyzing the purpose of that type of entity and um, the classic way of developing virtue theory. Um, is, was this what you were thinking? And if so, do you see any particular way that gives us traction to the questions you're being asked, and then, and then sorry, I just thought of an objection along these lines. Um, doesn't that just get us back to the original problem? Because it'd be since it's a derivative intentionality. The telos comes from us, we set it, we determine the right. questions, their purposes. Isn't it really just back to us again and making sure that we have the right aims and goals and maybe, for, maybe, maybe virtues? Right. Well, originally I actually think in this way, but then the question about like you mentioned, and also the question about where the intention 
can be realized actually through technological artifacts is another concern that I have. So even if you have telos that, well, there will be a distinction, or not distinction, but disparage between the final telos and the original design intentions. Mm -hmm. So that might not work that well in that sense. Because we have use context and design context. And the two contexts are separate. And what causes to change? Well, uses of technology are multiple and often very much in design processes, more or less single. So that intention might not be very well translated into the context of use. And user has their own intention as well. So that difficulty kind of make me go away from this Tito wheel of technology. But that might, I don't know whether it works or not, but I will think about it more carefully. Thanks. All right, let's thank Pat for a very stimulating.